We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for Series 12, Episode 6, Skipper. This is a momentous occasion, as it's our last ever commentary for a regular length Red Dwarf episode, unless they make some more or we decide to go back and do some old ones again. But still, <laughs> end of Series 12, ladies and gentlemen, we made it. Yay. And by we, I do of course mean myself, Ian Symes. Jonathan Capps. Skipper, I barely know her. And Danny Stevenson. Skippist. Sorry, I still want to be overdone. (laughs) (laughs) If you would like to watch the episode while you listen to our beautiful words, then you should press play on your playback device at the end of these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Skipper is, unsurprisingly, perhaps, uh, as we've talked about this in all the previous episodes, the top uh, episode from series 12, according to the Pearl Poll, number 31 overall. Uh, so comfortably inside the bubble, mm. as we refer to the uh, the top 36. Probably would have been higher were it not for some like issues with the voting in the Pearl Poll, where a lot of people who hadn't seen series 11 and 12 just put all the new episodes at the bottom so its average was dragged down a little bit but perhaps a flaw in the method that we will fix for the um next one purple flipple <laughs> no <laughs> i don't know what the next one is <laughs> we'll figure it out we've got a couple of years yet yeah but anyway yeah it is a good episode yeah it's like I watched this yesterday, and it's just it, there's just so many. It's just such a good gag rate, and I think that's why people like. Aside from the many callbacks that are kind of mm. built into the plot, um, it's just constant woofers. Yeah, and it's like it's a. It, there's two really good setups here. <laughs> the first one, just the first half of the episode, in order to get to the skipper machine. Where it's all the stuff about whatever decision you make, the opposite thing happens. It's excellent. Yeah, could perhaps have been a full episode, but then on the other hand, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It does the job. Every bit of that gag is funny, and then it's over. So I can't really complain. Yeah, the setting up of a concept in the first half and then paying it off in the second half is a. I mean, that's the the classic formula, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm not, we'll get to it, but I'm not sure it really dovetails into. Each other, like, it's probably yeah. not necessary to happen. But uh, we can't go much further without commending that um, font on the front of that folder. Yeah, there's there's every reason that that could have been just any font they could have chosen. Yeah. It would have been easier for themselves, but no, they went for the original font that was used in Series 1. Good work. And you can just about glimpse the paper as he hands it over, and it's the exact same that paper heading. That copied kind of yeah. rough, <laughs> yeah. It's a weird one because, like, Matt Clark clearly remembers Series 1, but this callback kind of feels like 
Doug doesn't remember that he's already done this. <laughs> because <laughs> they never mention, oh, you found yeah. the Captain's Files again. And like yeah. it, the whole thing is just a repeat, exact repeat pretty much of that, but with different words. Mm. Uh, without anyone acknowledging that they've already got to the Captain's Files <laughs> 30 years ago. Yeah. And they've all... Well, depending on what happened between Series 8 and 9... <laughs> They all abused the captain's confidential files in uh, yeah. Series 8 and got sent to prison for it. Yeah, well, true. more specifically, mm-hmm. two of them uh, did that and everyone got sent to prison. <laughs> Craig's good. It was good. It was, it's actually quite a nice assessment of Lister, isn't it? It's, um, Hollister basically describing Lister's character perfectly. Despite <laughs> yeah. being quite bright, he's dragged down by being lazy which is i mean yeah that's definitely it was definitely the case with series one lister yeah and that's this that's the ongoing arc for lister over the years is that he started to apply himself more and become less of a slob and more <laughs> worthwhile using the talent and the you know ability that's always been there but he's still always battling that kind of you know mm. demon of laziness which we all well, i certainly know how that feels yep Penetrate your universe in a minute. <laughs> this is a very late era Rimmer rant, <laughs> isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, this is moves move. Yeah. <laughs> Getting annoyed about nothing in particular. Because <laughs> he needs a bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. I guess it, maybe it's. There to show, I'm being kind here, but maybe it's there to show how Rimmer has become so irritable with the situation that he wants to escape and find something new all of a sudden. Yeah. Later yeah. on in the episode. That's a so quite that's... nice line from Crying. Like, is it okay if I say lesions or would you prefer if I say cuts? It reminds me of an old um, Fry and Laurie sketch. I might have been on the radio show of a, a, a critic saying tranches all the time and um, <laughs> Stephen Fry saying, or as we say in English, slices. <laughs> Another onboard computer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, it's perhaps just yeah, an an audio recording that's a, a the fall, onboard, fallback, yeah. I guess. If if the main ship computer is flooded, then use this voice recording. I think they couldn't have used Norman because it would have been really. Incongruous, they could have like said, like, Oh, it's always system. really creepy when yeah. when they use a pre recorded Holly line or something, and <laughs> could have referenced it. This, yeah, is great masterclass in performance and editing, in particular. The editing, man, the, the, this episode, even this, how was this? I can't, I went to go see this episode being done, and I cannot remember how this might have been pre VT, must have been VTs, yeah, I was there VT. as well, but I can't really remember, yeah. <laughs> all, literally all I remember is just a, a rat in front of me that's the whole whole thing I remember from this when he gets the biscuits and he suddenly turns up on the opposite side <laughs> yeah oh, now dear. this bit uh, Danny and I were here when this was recorded uh, despite this being a pre-record because oh we were uh, literally in the next room <laughs> yeah we, we were in the bunk room while this was being shot in the science room mm. Uh, yeah, it was because this episode the uh, studio audience recording got moved um, to the following Wednesday or a week on Wednesday or whatever it was um, 
but the fan club was supposed to be going for a set visit on the day of the original recording, and so they just let us come in. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that is genuinely one of the best cuts yeah. in dwarf history. <laughs> it's made all the better by the fact that Crichton has never ever done that before. <laughs> He's surprised. I just love Robert is very good at looking surprised at himself. Yeah. <laughs> and look, we're straight into the Michael Jackson gags. Like it's just like oh, the pace so is brilliant. <laughs> Oh, they were talking about this quite a lot as well. This apple, the apple orange stuff. They were getting really confused as to, like, they were having that conversation that kind of would have wound up um, uh, Paul Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why are you catching it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's because of the thing. And it's like, <laughs> it must have. I mean, it did, but it must have taken a while. Yeah. It's a very. It's just. Yeah, the the grammar of it. It's. Really interesting because yeah. it feels like a continuous action. It feels like it's all one scene, but then you think about it, and you know, no, they must have had to stop. And you know, he chucks the apple, and it looks, it and it feels like immediately he catches an orange. It would have been great if you'd have seen a like a sideways shot where you see you don't see the transition, you just see the blur, and as it gets, into the <laughs> yeah, sand, it is an apple <laughs> rather than an orange. That'd been quite cool. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I think that there's there's a yeah <laughs> there's there's an Frantic. unmentioned rule here where is that not only are you doing the opposite of what you say you do the opposite to the most extreme degree like yeah. Crichton gets on it's a PA system gusto. which he never does and and Lister shoves the and the cat really gets into the you know the cooking of the is dancing yeah as dancing as a cook and that yeah that again that jump cut and jabbing the toast frantically into the egg. I mean, skillfully, from Craig's point of view, avoiding having to eat a load of presumably cold manky under the studio lights dinner. It just does a lot of bread action. <laughs> the, the cat continuously being unable to grasp this is really well judged. <laughs> yeah. Because it is essentially the same joke over and over again, but they play on the same, like the cat doesn't understand this situation about six or seven times, and it's yeah. funny every <laughs> single time. Yeah, there's occasions where he, it's just for comic effect. <laughs> yeah, that one where he, he just presses the lift button it's you don't he's not consciously making a choice he's not yeah. saying out loud come on let's take the lift he's just you know doing what comes naturally oh <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> 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 we're mostly just chuckling at the episode but it's a really good <laughs> yeah like this this first half is just yeah relentless gag after gag based on this and it's kind of like, yeah, it's a mini episode within the bigger episode of this one, really. Yeah. It's just so much fun, isn't it? It's, it, it feels like it's an end of term episode. It feels like a last, yeah. you know, a last episode, I guess. Especially of the big block of 12 rather than just as well as being the last of the six. Yeah. Like they've been at this for like four or five months at this point. Like everyone's yeah. tired, but also like knows exactly what they're doing. Like everyone's in full flow, basically. This does remind me of uh, the Whitehall section in the book where they're both experiencing the problem from separate areas of the ship, 
they're all coming to the same conclusion that something's fucked up, but they can't speak to each other about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You have to yeah. work out independently, and then yeah. they kind of come together, and then they're already on the same page. And then the punchline, the cat's... <laughs> One last <laughs> cat, cat fucks it up, moron. <laughs> and then cut, and then it's not it's not a problem anymore, guys. It's fine. <laughs> it's gone away now. Somewhere there's a universe where everyone remembers Ace Rimmer, but it's not this yeah, one. Yeah, that's the other thing, as well as the confidential. <laughs> oh dear, that was a yeah, that was a big red herring, wasn't it? <laughs> the fact that the episode is called Skipper, and then we found out that it was about dimension jumping. Uh, like some of that possibly deliberate misleading us I, in which case fair play that would be a bit of a dick move wouldn't it <laughs> well I think would what it? like pretending that you're about to explain the series 8 cliffhanger and then <laughs> yeah. that's a joke in and of itself but like sort of dangling a kind of you know potential thread of oh we can do this and oh, it's going to be like this but it's not going to be like this it's not going to was, be there, was there a lot of well, I guess there wasn't because a lot of us had kind of seen this already. But was there much speculation that this was going to be an Ace Rimmer? I seem to recall so. Okay, it's the skipper element, but it's it's here where it, it could have at least have been mentioned. Yeah, yeah. They talk about you know maybe somewhere there's a version of Rimmer that isn't <laughs> having a horrible life, and you know full well there's thousands of versions of Rimmer. So many. Yeah, there's a, a planet rings worth of corpses. Yeah, that's too much of an oversight, isn't it? Really, like it, w- w- when you're in the thick of this much back referencing, and you've literally just recreated the the, the first ever scene of the show in the last episode. Like, yeah, you need to assume that the audience is ready for some Ace Rimmer references. Just one line, just hang a lampshade on it. Yeah, that's all that's needed. It, like him saying, "I want to." A, a universe where things are going right for me, but I don't have to be that smug git ace or something <laughs> exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. And that gets you out of having to have ace appear, but it answers that nagging thing in the back of your head. This is a great bit of Crichton and Lister relationship um, stuff, this gag with the wire. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That, that is it. what it's like to have children, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't leave my phone charger hanging around anymore. There's my phone charger. I fuck it. I, I, I have I have shocked myself so many times with my phone charger just being sat by my side and then realised that the, the shielding around it is not earthed. So every time I feel this horrible tingling sensation in my arm, I'm like, oh, that's that. I'm getting to go. <laughs> what fun. But my batteries are fully charged. (laughs) It's got an interactive menu. (laughs) Scene selection interactive menu. But is there a web link? This is like this is like the iPod shuffle. (laughs) Yeah, trying to sell a lack of uh, proper navigation as a feature. And this is where they set up the rule that um, there's a certain amount of recharge time in between using it uh, when it's convenient for the plot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And when it's convenient to do quick fire gags. Yeah. See, 
right there, he should have made a joke about the sheer amount of times that he said goodbye to the crew. Because <laughs> yeah. at this point, we're on the fourth, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> goodbye forever. I appreciate all the detail here, but that H is way too big. <laughs> Chris Berry's forehead has shrunk. Yeah. <laughs> there he is. And this sounds really awful, but when we when we saw this at the uh, when we saw the recording, I didn't actually twig that that actually was Norman Lovett. <laughs> they've he done some terrible things to him. It was like a dangling ballsack with some blue lights <laughs> on it. And we know that he still looks like Holly because. A few in the years promised later. land, yeah, yeah, in the promised land, it looks it's it's not Norman, and like I always felt harsh. Like, I felt hot just then saying he looked like a dangling <laughs> sack of testicles. <laughs> but it's not Norman that looks like a dangling sack of testicles. It's the lighting and the makeup, whatever it is they've done to him, uh, like the filter that's on him. It it looks bad. It makes him look ancient yeah. forever. Whereas whatever they did for the Promised Land made him look like Holly. Maybe, so. Yeah, like almost exactly like Series Eight Holly was what yeah. he looked like, and he was as funny as Series One Holly. I think yeah. they're shooting an actual because it looks like they're actually shooting an actual shot of the monitor rather than and rather you know, than company inserting that shot into the yeah, scene. Perhaps. So I think that's washing out the colours a fair bit. Yeah, not helping. I'm not sure if people. Like people who were in their thirties in the eighties had this same problem with Red Dwarf at the time. But it's distracting to me that Holly's monitor looks like an eighty quid L C D TV that you'd get from Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I think it was ever thus. <laughs> the little yeah, the little circle on it is just like ah oh, that I mean, I'm pretty sure that's a Samsung, I think. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. it's a bit I mean well, that's in, a bit more bespoke, In remastered, in all the new shots of Holly, you can see the bloody Sony logo on the monitor that oh, oh, yeah. uh, this is everyone's yes. alive Arnold yeah. anyone who's Good got call. like any, anyone who's got a problem with this and like, eh, it's a bit of a weird callback you can fuck off this is brilliant <laughs> <laughs> that's the old spirit of Gunnery and Titan well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we love you all but like this episode is just full of joy <laughs> and that's all yeah. that is needed I can understand, like, the excessive cheering when Norman appears grating on people, but the, what, actually, what he actually says once the audience starts whooping, stops whooping, is good, it's funny, and the, yeah, everyone's alive slash nobody's dead, Arnold, is brilliant, it's perfect. Also, seeing the, um, the, the accident yeah. is pretty cool. I also like the sound effect of the alarm just before Holly starts speaking, being the series one. Yes. Sound effect. <laughs> According to this wall console. <laughs> uh, can you just check that on the wall console, please? <laughs> now, this, on the other hand, is a bit of a series eight Holly joke. <laughs> We've lost the port side, the sherry, and the brandy. Here he is. I think we're a little bit out of sync. I'm going to need to remember to... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hollister's just turned up for us. The problem is, though, is even if the escape pod works, he's going to suffocate because there's no window in that door. (laughs) (laughs) There's no glass. He's just going to die as he gets into space. I don't know. uh... There is. There is. I've just seen Rimmer's finger reflected in the thing. There is a window in there. Maybe in some shots, but I think... No, it's there. Honestly, there is a window there. You can see the dirt in front of it. Is that not just the dirt on your monitor? No, 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 because that's moving with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it looks uh, really uh, 
But yeah. E- even though, I mean, that is Series 8, Mark. That's Series 8 Hollister. But still. <laughs> like... I think the thing with that is that Series 1 to 2 Hollister wasn't really a comedy character. He was the no. straight man. Yeah. And so if you're going to bring him back, you might as well do. And like, there's more Series 8 Hollister than there is non Series 8 Hollister. <clears throat> the fact right. that the. the <laughs> We're going to have to bookmark a lot of things because we're moving on now, but there's more stuff to talk <laughs> the, about with Hollister. Sorry. <laughs> the pace of this episode is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, but we can't not talk about what's happening right now. Okay. <laughs> what's about to happen. So, <laughs> a number of things. Firstly, Craig... I've never liked Craig Charles's posho voice. <laughs> and he's <laughs> out in full force here. Like... Evening, Jeff. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Space chums. <laughs> Which he did in the deleted scenes for Only the Good. When he, uh, Rimmer goes into the Mirror Universe, there was going to be a posh lister, but it got edited uh, out. Right. And he's got a big moustache. Yeah, he does uh, He does plummy lister better later in this episode. Because he's, he's a bit plummy when he's the when captain. He's the captain, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's shades of plum. This is a this is a, a high octane plum. You plum. Yeah, he's really going <laughs> to it. The, I mean, to be fair, this universe. Plum. He's not the only one that really throws himself into a performance <laughs> no. in this particular scene. Um, yeah, Robert's hamming it up all over. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and then there's this. I like, I'm only just noticing that the clues are there, like the giant cheese on yeah, the, the table. Yeah, the giant cheese. <laughs> it's, it, it's this. It's this bit. It's the. It's the timing. Oh, Danny's good at timing. I'll give him this. He. <laughs> no I like the fact he's wearing a fur coat on top of yes. his furry body. <laughs> yeah. Poor Danny. He's still absolutely fucking sweltering, man. He was. I mean, it was. It's. It, he's definitely. It's just. It's the Monty Python thing, right? It's the tiger. Tiger yeah, brand yeah. coffee, it's yeah. that shit, it's that. <laughs> oh, God. It, yeah, very well performed, obviously. <laughs> it's, it's Robert having to get out of the way and smack him in the face. Oh, the promised land. Ooh. Yes, the promised land. <laughs> of course, yeah, the rats would have not tried to escape, they'd have, they'd have stayed on. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's like, it makes... <laughs> It makes no sense in the Red Dwarf universe <laughs> that the cats would evolve into a humanoid form while still still retaining some cat characteristics, whereas rats would evolve to just become massive fucking rats. <laughs> Whose mouths don't move when they talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sound like Hedgley the Hedgehog, I've just realised. <laughs> but I remember watching that at uh, the live recording and just being like, that was a massive head fuck. And it didn't overstay its welcome. It's like, you know, a nice little sketch. I thought you hated Mr. Rat, Capsy. Well, I I hate the... Con- I, I don't hate it. I've never hated it. I just, like, it's just... It really pushes it. I don't know. It's the most extreme, I think, Red Dwarf might have ever <laughs> Yeah, and it, yeah, what I mean is the scene doesn't overstay. Like, it doesn't stick around for too long, so it's kind of it's no. done and gone. But, like, I don't like... I don't like Danny's... I don't know. I just don't like <laughs> Mr. Rat particularly, but I admire the uh, Now, this is the universe um, 
that the uh, tongue-tied video uh, is set in because <laughs> in Danny John Jules's tongue-tied video, uh, Rimmer appears on screen because he couldn't make the same days as the rest. <laughs> <laughs> And quick fire, quick fire. This is yeah. the green universe, though. Blue dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> the universe with all the bees. The universe with the bear. Do you remember the episode of all the bees? <laughs> ah, that little cut back though to a, a original model shot, just for like a second that it's on screen. I know. That's just like tingly back of the neck territory. Back of the neck. <laughs> <laughs> we get we get a more sustained one. Um, you're you're definitely about ten seconds behind us, by the way, Ian. Oh, never mind. <laughs> just to just to, yeah, just to explain why we might be reacting to different things. I do love the I do love just seeing bits of like the old like the old crew. It's like yeah, even though it's people that we've never met before. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, just expanding like, the crew. Out, like the guy earlier that said, "Back to work, Rimmer." Was just, it's just. Yeah. Really... Yeah. I've just got the longer model shot. <laughs> I like how. But yeah, it's just it just tells you so much because, like in universe, it doesn't matter because it's the same ship now and then. Yeah. But for us seeing that, you know, the proper original eighties. Film everything, ah, lovely. It's your can as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I like that the captain's office is one corner of the bunk room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least I, I'm pretty sure it is. Previously, one corner of the drive room. So. Yeah. It, it's supposed to be the same place. You give them, you cut them some slack. They probably don't have the space, the same space to play with as they did. <laughs> Another excellent piece of editing and physical comedy where he just lifts up a burger. Yeah. And those clipboards on the wall. Obviously, the um, the big schematic of Red Dwarf at the back. It's all just. It's lovely detail. So beautifully done. It was clearly worth whatever ridiculous hours they forced Matt Clark to work. <laughs> wow. He never said that it was Red Dwarf that uh, that was. No. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, link in the show notes, but yeah, Matt Clark, the designer on this, recently, well, recently when we recorded this, uh, had a really good rant on Twitter about working hours in TV, which I'd recommend. He always he said in that that um, he can spot the, ty- the the point in the it shows history where the work's getting ridiculous towards the end because his he can see his work suffering. Whereas in mm. this, <laughs> it's like a constant yeah. upwards ramp up to this episode, which is just like a tour de force. So maybe that's not the yeah. case. Here. And a beautifully realised version of the bunk room. Yeah, it's 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 been expanded a fair bit. Like it's about one point five times bigger. Yeah. Um, How'd you figure that out? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and it's better than the version in series eight. Yeah, and I think that's because it's it's perhaps well the lighting's a lot darker here, which is a theme of um, very dark series eleven and twelve. But it kind of it perhaps hides any potential faults. Yeah, and it just it feels right. It's good to see the banana come back. Uh, act, best <laughs> non-speaking role in the show. <laughs> <laughs> 
And there's a new there's a new Healing. certificate for uh, Rimmer completing basic first aid, which I don't think I've ever seen before. <laughs> oh, yes, there is. Uh, call back to Helium Seven. Yes, which is what uh, Planet Rimmer on Time Wave yeah. from Time Wave. Oh, Time Wave. Helium Seven. Yeah, don't get those two dudes mixed up. <laughs> and then. Apparently he can just choose to go back, which I I, I didn't. I, I always thought it was a one way trip. A la dimension. Not, isn't, it, isn't it that he literally runs out of universes and ends up back at the beginning? Uh, oh, okay, right. Fair <laughs> that is that is yeah. That's a nice idea. <laughs> that's how I read it. Because <laughs> that's because Lister said the Infinity wasn't enough for him. Yeah. Which is perfectly fucking fine for River. I was a bit disappointed at the time, and I think. I still am. I think what this episode really needs is for Rimmer to make a decision, a positive decision to come back home at the end. Yeah. Um, is like, is in the universe where everything's perfect. Like, he's an officer, he's married, uh, he's nearly, you know, he's alive, <laughs> he's <laughs> at Earth in his own time. Um, but if it had been, but this is, a, I, I miss. I mean, this is like too much of a fan wanky fanfic type reading, <laughs> but it wouldn't be home without his version of Lister and, to a lesser extent, Crichton and Cat. Like, if he'd have made the decision, yeah, but I'd be happier with my crew. Yeah. Then that would have been just a lovely thing, but to, but to only end up going back out sort of by default because nothing else was suitable, it kind of it's a bit of a shame that I think it's a missed opportunity to have like a heartfelt moment from Rimmer. But yep. there's plenty of that in the think, next episode along. Yeah, that's true, actually. And the cat goes through a similar process as well. But mm. I think you could probably argue that Rimmer's making excuses for why every single universe isn't good enough. There's no way in hell that he didn't find a universe that was not good enough for him. It was just he he would have kept telling himself, I kind of just want to get back. But he's thinking yeah. of reasons why, you know, I don't know, maybe inventing yeah. that's my he's coming up with that's excuses my Tumblr <laughs> explanation anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, accidental symmetry for series twelve starting and ending with a poker scene. Hmm. Which is neat, but wasn't intentional. <laughs> no. Cured moved. Yeah, we mentioned it last week, didn't we? I say last week, yeah. the last um, commentary. And that's series twelve. What is it? Oh yeah, Hollister. That was genuinely just about almost kept as a surprise uh, for the majority of people on broadcast. However, because that that shot of the radiation leak hitting, which, by the way, the last thing we ever see of Captain Hollister, presumably ever, but, but to date, the last thing we see of Captain Hollister is him being burnt to death in a <laughs> nuclear explosion. It's a bit, it's a bit much. But yeah, that shot um, was in the uh, title sequence, but with Hollister himself removed to to maintain the surprise. Oh, Unfortunately, yeah. one of the trailers on Dave for the series used the unedited version of that shot, where you could see Hollister. Uh, <laughs> Only if you you know paused it and looked at it frame by frame, but. We're Red Dwarf fans. Yeah, I was going to say, only if you were a Red Dwarf fan. Whereas Norman Lovett appearing was not a brilliantly kept secret, (laughs) it has to be said. In between recording and broadcast, he mentioned it at conventions about 50 times. But more pertinently, on the night of the recording, there was a, a picture got tweeted that probably shouldn't have been tweeted. As documented on our 
set report dwarf cast from the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that image is now one of the rare banners on GNT. So if you uh, <laughs> if you refresh the homepage enough times, you'll find. I it got eventually. that the other day. Oh, good. <laughs> Alongside Ian and Ian Lee hugging. <laughs> Peace um, of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a bit in that set report where where Ian comes home from work, and. <laughs> Reads out the <laughs> yeah. the tweet and tells it, and we've had to beep most of <laughs> most of that conversation yeah. out of it from the, from the time. It's weird, I and mean, they didn't even bother with Promised Land, did they? It was like, here's everyone that's in it. Yeah, I think they finally mentioned it in public after the first studio record. Yeah, but Baby Cow had tweeted a picture with him in. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Beforehand at the rehearsal room. I want to drill down a bit more into Mr. Rat, which is not a phrase I've used too often. <laughs> yeah. I'm... I really love Danny's performance, as obviously over the top as it is, it's deliberately so, and I think you can't really play that small. No. no. I think you have to kind of go for it, and the fact that he chooses this kind of 70s black exploitation pimp persona for the rat, I think... <laughs> It's just, why not? <laughs> well, wasn't Danny's rationale for that voice being like a polar opposite of the cat being quite high pitched and therefore the rat was incredibly low? Yeah. Was that that was his rationale for yeah. the accent, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Instead yeah, characterization wise. The rat was all like, well, oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Where am I dinner at? <laughs> and a little bit Charles Organs as well. Yes, I think it might have been based on that, to be fair. It probably yeah. both had yeah, some yeah, flavour of organs point. in there. Yeah. Because we know from Queeg that he could do a damn fine impression when he does the I'm sorry I've run out of credits as Queeg. I don't think I've ever hated it, but I, I've, I've had a difficulty kind of processing it since the recording night <laughs> because it is so completely weird and out there. Um, the reason why I'm, why I'm able to pass it is because it's part of Series 12 and Series 12 has these kind of really broad strokes about it because it's part of the same umbrella of series 12 where it's the weird series mm. it it fits within that it wouldn't have fit within like i don't know maybe series 10 it wouldn't have fit very well no series 10 yeah, was fairly right. straight straight laced wasn't it yeah, yeah. so it would have fit, been really incongruous with that but with series 12 the way that series 12 was going everyone kind of had this feeling of this is the weird one the confidence that they had i guess to to push the envelope a bit more and it's as part of this episode where it's just a complete barrage of weird ideas and concepts just battering you over the head like there's that five minute section in the middle where it's like it goes from the Holly and Hollister universe to Mr. Rat to the Everyone's Lister universe and then bang 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 yeah it's relentless there's so many odd things that happen just really really quickly you just swept up in it and it's almost like the last universe the one that's almost perfect except that Lister is successful we're only there for about two minutes two and a half minutes but that feels like a longer section because of the pace of what's gone before yeah but it's nice to sort of settle down and have a breather and yeah I'm I'm never going to get bored of seeing series one style sets recreated no With that, with that level of detail, yeah. I would like to mention the uh, the the sort of the final universe that Rumor finds himself in. He he doesn't seem to be annoyed at just the fact that Lister is successful. It seems to be that Lister seems to have winged his way to being captain by not studying. It seems to be just that he's more successful than him, and that's just 
beyond the pale because mm. li- Rimmer would be would absolutely take that route of doing it without studying and cheating his way to the top, basically, or fluking his way to the top. Rimmer would take. So he's that. jealous that Lister managed to do that as well. Do that okay. when it, that was yeah. clearly his his way, his only way yeah, that yeah, he was yeah. going to get to the top, and Lister fluked his way into that. Instead. And the fact that Helium Seven as well with like that was like almost like the final straw because that's yeah. the thing that Rimmer was planning on because he um, knew that there was valuable and all the rest of it. Maybe, maybe he's also figured out that probably the only reason he ever got promoted to officer was because his mate was captain. Yeah. <laughs> so if his yeah, success but, yeah. is, is through Lister, is enabled by Lister, that's probably a bit much as well. Ah, yeah, okay. he would eschew that success. Yeah, he'd rather not have it than have Lister hand it to him. I have a question about the, the mechanics of the jumping. Because it's, it's assumed that Rimmer is replacing mm. the other version in that universe. It's never really brought up because it would be, it's a weird problem that you can't really, because either you've got another Rimmer in there and it's going to be a problem, or you're essentially murdering the original Rimmer. <laughs> yeah, I guess they temporarily go into some sort of void. Yeah, like... They um, get erased yeah. from existence in some sort of holding pen, Inquisitor style. Quantum Leap, they're all in a waiting room yeah, with That's owl. essentially what this yeah. episode is, is Quantum Leap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Apart from that Rimmer's in, Har- in presumably his own body every time, which is... And in Quantum Leap, there's literally a waiting room where they where they end up as well. I can't remember what episode that was. It's either that or every time he jumps, the rimmer that he displaces ends up in our universe and there's a whole other episode <laughs> that they could do later down the line of all these weird these weird disparate rimmers turning up <laughs> in our red dwarfs. They're swapped up oh, because it's like, quantum, ah. right? So they Oh no, hang on, hang on, hang on. So if it's quantum, then they can exist in the same space at the same time. Oh interesting. That's I only know the dishwasher tablets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finished quantum tablets can exist in two states simultaneously. That's they're both they're both. So your dishwasher is both on and off at the same time. Yeah, they do. They just settle on on choosing that your washing should settle on the clean state at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you open the door, you can see what state the dishwasher is in, but only when you look at it does it actually tell you that. So. <laughs> Schrodinger's dishwasher. Shro dishwashers <laughs> No, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> What's a very strange day? <laughs> like, I know we've got the promised land still, but I am so deeply indebted that series twelve finishes the way it does. I thought you could say I'm so deeply indebted that we've fucking finished commentary. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm kind of sad that we've we've not got many to do unless we're going to redo some. Maybe. Well, there are other things that we can commentate on there are. that aren't episodes there are so watch this space but yeah still one more in the day era but yeah you're right if it, if it had ended on time wave we'd have probably have been putting it off for years and years <laughs> <laughs> in the same way we ended up having loads of series seven and eight to do before the day era yeah and it's, it's easy to think oh yeah they never would have ended on time wave but can of worms was the last episode of series 11 so you can't always tell in advance what's good and what's not. I mean, this is an episode that is like, it couldn't ever be anything other than the, the last episode, sorry. But then you yeah. probably say the same thing at the time about Back to Reality, and that was dicked around with, so... Yeah. That was intended to be first, and then they yeah. realised that what... Yeah, but then the, vid- yeah, the, vi- uh, the video... Then the video <laughs> fucked up. Just in case anyone didn't know, we're doing The Promised Land on pace, so we're, we're doing that next. We're not waiting until... Until it's older or anything to do with the commentary for that, we're just going to get that done next. That will be the next commentary. Yeah. But before that, I think it's about time we had some delicious waffles, don't you? I'm fucking starving, mate. Let's load up the section that we like to call 
Ah, so you're a waffleman. A waffleman. So this is the section where we take Red Dwarf topics and questions that have been submitted by you, our loyal listeners slash readers, and there's one that's been in our waffle pile for quite some time. It's, uh, it's gone a bit stale now, <laughs> but we've, we've dusted it off. It's from Nikki Hutchinson, and they ask, Twentica has the most impressive miniature sequence throughout all of series 11 and 12. What did you think of the rest of the model shots of Starbuck, both used on screen and unused on the DVD? So we thought we'd wait till the end of series 12 to do this one, but also we needed to refresh our memories, <laughs> yeah. all, really. It's weird, isn't it, having such a an encyclopedic knowledge of like one to six, like all the shots and the, the immediately being able to spot what's an unused shot and things mm. like that and, and knowing all the behind-the-scenes stories and getting into the new series, it, it kind of been a bit difficult to... Uh, get a grasp on what's happening really well the main the main reason why that's tricky is because it's all on blue screen yeah uh, the only ones that aren't are the ones that involve sand for Twentica. everything else is mainly done with some level of modularity where you can you know plug and play that into whichever episodes you need it for we only get raw footage on the series 11 dvd unlike all the previous releases it had individual bits for each series but there's a there's a bunch of shots in that package that i'm pretty sure are from series 12 so mm. They've just like plonked all the footage from that big session, which they presumably shot all the model stuff together. Yeah, because they, they wouldn't have broken and done two separate sections. Sure, no, yeah. It wouldn't have made any sense for production. So yeah, all the Starbucks stuff, pretty much all the Starbucks stuff is on blue screen with a motion control camera, which is interesting because rather than puppeteering the ship with strings on a real spacescape, well, not real spacecape, <laughs> a physical spacecape background. The model unit would have gone out into space. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, BBC does effects. Well, that was what the budgets were like back in those days. <laughs> you just can't do that these days. That's why they shoot everything at one-sixth gravity. It's easier. <laughs> so, yeah, they've basically shot themselves a kit of parts. They've got Starbug flying from every angle in each direction yeah. via motion control. It looks pretty smooth. It looks pretty good. Yeah. So really, the only specific sequence the models were used for really is the Twentica crash, right? unless I'm forgetting something. Those models would have been comped into CG, like combining CG, because mm. like, there's stuff like the um, when Starbug escapes from a landing bay that's exploding, which I think is from Give and Take. Yeah. Um, I think that uses some model footage with yeah. everything else being CG. Which is done from give and take in that in the in the rushes. Um, yeah, yeah. There's also on the DVD. There's um, raw visual effects, which is basically the the computer generated uh, effects, and that's fairly useless as a, as a feature because you don't, it's not the same. Like you don't shoot rushes like you do with uh, physical models. So they just show us the effects without the textures on, and then with the textures on. You need someone talking over that and giving a bit of a narrative. And yeah. Breaking down one sequence or something and say this is how we would... Which is, there, there is a bit of that on the Series 12 DVD, because the Series 12 DVD has got all those mini documentaries with various members of the crew, and there is oh, one yeah. on the, phys- on the um, digital effects there, which is really good. It's always nice to see the, and the building blocks of, of a shot, yeah. and that, that's always nice to see when you kind of see the breakdown of the the raw model without any lighting and then you see it with the lighting and then you do a thingy pass and then you do a map pass and then you see those layers put up and and build up as they go it's kind of nice you mentioned actually it's interesting on the i mean we're specifically talking about this feature right now but when they're doing the red dwarf passes there is some really there's some what looked to me like they forgot to turn the lights on passes (laughs) (laughs) i wonder Um, whether they're meant to be map passes 
But then so, mm. in, in some of the darker areas, you can't make out where the ship ends and the background begins. So it's, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I just I just find it so they've clearly just like put in maybe all of them, all of the shots have just stuck them in I there. Think so maybe, just, yeah, yeah, I think just dumped it all onto yeah, one drive. They'll try and they something out. Like, maybe yeah. for those bits today, we're lighting a specific section of the mm, ship yeah, okay. in order to get a nice shot of that. And then just like they did the full motion control of the whole length of the ship so that... Yeah. You know, they they were never intending to use the dark bits. They just they shot them anyway because they were doing a moving shot. Or it could have been just for like a shadow of occlusion. So it could have been something mm. like like maybe the dwarf was just covering over a sun or something like that, and it just needed a shadow. And it was mm. yeah. easier probably to shoot it that way than to I don't know. I am guessing wildly, but there is some really bizarre like. You wonder how much work they want to make for themselves when you're shooting green screen and and, and, and blue screen when you've just got cables and clutter stuff everywhere, just yeah. all yeah. in the background. It's like you're just giving yourself more to do. Yeah, they can easily be painted out, but it's easier to not have them there in the first place. Yeah, it's easier to, to drape some green over a cable, presumably. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because as far as we can tell, it was all Magic Camera Company who have long pedigree with the show. Mm. Didn't they build the first Red Dwarf? They were definitely involved. They were definitely they were involved, involved early on, one. yeah. And the Starbug scenes, everything looks quite clean, but the Red, the Red Dwarf passes look, look like it's in a, in a corner somewhere and things like, you know, the, the green screens aren't fully up everywhere and yeah like I say there's cables and stuff so it's quite it's quite interesting seeing how different the, the you ship... often see on like when you see that behind the scenes film footage and stuff you kind of wonder it's like how important are the, the green screens really because they're usually mm. covering like a portion of what they actually need and the rest of it's just done digitally like the majority yeah. of shots like that are probably rotoscoped regardless so it's a combination of techniques to kind of achieve. Yeah, it's the like it's a light in the load and to give you an eyeball thing to see so that your rotoscoping's easier rather than having to worry about, you know, having to yeah. do it completely from scratch without any reference. So some of it is yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. I, I, I always wonder where the line's drawn in terms of what's necessary and what's actually just overkill. Yeah. I'd I'd love to I'd love to see more about kind of what the sort of workflow is for things like that. Mm. Um Specifically, you know, like how did it work here with all these competing, not competing, but like there was a whole separate company doing the CG, um, another company doing the, the props and the makeup and so like Millennium were, yeah. were mainly the makeup. Yeah, they people, were the guys they? who did all the, the yeah. rumour stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah, so there, it would have been two companies, you know, it would have been the Magic Camera Company, the company that was doing the CG working together. Uh, the model unit also involved... Um, in, during the shoot as well, it's a really strange and interesting kind of setup and mishmash of people. I would, have, I would love to maybe see more about how it all kind of comes together. I guess it's another one of the symptoms of the way TV has changed over the years. Whereas previously, all of those departments would have been in-house BBC departments, or like mm. the visual effects unit of old would have had people with different areas of expertise within it. And now everyone's freelance, it's branched off, and so you've got smaller collections of people who are more specialists of one thing rather than the big catch-all yeah. visual effects department of old. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really interesting. So you, yeah, you hire your freelancers based on what's needed. You see how many effects houses are involved in films these days. It's like, you know, sort of 40 to 50 effects houses for like one specific, like one shot can have five effects houses running mm-hmm. on it just because it could be one set are just purely for compositing. One's just for motion capturing, one's just purely for, you know what I mean? So you've got all these different disciplines that are just spread out over a wide area and then all brought back again. It just sounds like a logistical nightmare. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like a coherent um, 
Oh, like, it doesn't sound as coherent as, let's say, you know, you've got a whole department at the BBC, but then, you know, that's a, at this point, that, that feels like a ginormous luxury, doesn't it? Like that, yeah. that era of, of TV production, that those sorts of resources that the BBC just had on hand, on staff, you know, days long gone. It's a shame that they uh, ended up using them to procure interviews with dead princesses. <laughs> Ruined it. For I mean, she months. wasn't dead at the time. Oh, uh, that's the thing. That's what I think the CG was for. <laughs> <laughs> it was the la- one of the last things that the BBC Visual Effects Department did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> not in terms of unused <laughs> stuff, there is an outtake where uh, the back end of Starbuck falls off. I like that. <laughs> Should have used that. <laughs> is that when the when it literally rips itself apart from the? Middle? Yeah, yeah, the, that's a really crash interesting. In I can't tell if that was intentional or not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> But it looks great because it, it does kind of remind me of Series Eight, but done properly. Where like the you know like when the, it just rips itself up, like rips. Yeah. You actually see like it looks like it doesn't look like a clean hole either. Like it's an intentional break. It looks like it's literally yeah. just gone snap. Do you think Mike Mike ripped out what was left of his hair uh, during that? <laughs> Although wasn't that a stunt bug? Because ah. they they had three D printed stunt bugs. Was didn't that they? the three D printed one? I think. That it, might, I yeah, think so. Oh, that makes sense. My memory of those it's all answered on the series twelve DVD documentaries. But uh, yeah, we recommend those. There's actually a very nice um, article that Seb wrote at the time. Voxel Jet were the three D printers. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. And Avis VFX were the CG. There's also a shot of Starbug rotating. On a big S in the landing bay. That never got used, did it? That was from Superman Returns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were wondering this. Is, it, was it from Give and Take? Was it from the escape? Yeah, I think that, I think that was intentional. But it does, it, it really, when we were watching it earlier, and immediately my brain went, Thunderbirds. It was just like Thunderbirds. <laughs> there was a shot where Starbug was coming into land as well, I think probably on the same set where the, the front right leg bends really sickeningly it was a bandy yeah yeah oh. <laughs> yeah it's like an ankle going it's like... oh yeah it is <laughs> i saw that and it made me think of one of our previous waffle topics about whether the legs are better up or down and <laughs> yeah. based on that yeah <laughs> let's not risk that happening. well if it was landing it would have to be down anyway so, so i think it's the first time i've really noticed that the legs are back and it's a model rather than a CG version. Yeah. And you see the leg. So now I've seen both of those scenarios. It looks really weird. So I'm mm. going to say that, yeah, I think legs down. <laughs> so just to answer that question from having from reviewed the evidence, again, legs down. So presumably, when the legs are up and it's a model, that must be a newer 3D printed one because the the hero Starbug that Mike has is the Series 3 Starbug, right? There was also, I think, a new Starbug built by the Magic Camera Company. Ah, yeah, right. I think they definitely threw a lot into it. I mean, God, this is a far cry from series ten. Holy fuck! Yeah, like bin bags and uh, oh rugs. my god, Fish tank like <laughs> dragged out of the gutter by um, Bill Pearson, just about saved things. Yeah, like um, and and I think yeah, Starbug was used that the the series three Starbug was used in that as well. But man, it's just a world away, world away. You actually have people that know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and since then, there's been a giant um life-size version of starbug made for the aa yeah <laughs> which is now festering in a car park somewhere yeah yeah <laughs> link in the show notes uh, Strange the link notes. that's my favorite effect from series 11 and 12 when uh, starbug went to the angel of the north and broke down <laughs> <laughs>
Next. Yeah. So my favorite my favorite model sequence from series 11 and 12 is the only full model sequence which is the crash in Twentica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful and it was I would, would love agree. to see a lot more of that. I do love which is not models it's I think it's entirely CG is the um approaching the universe space station yes. in crisis is really lovely but it's yeah, not Yeah, that models. is an amazing looking ship. It needs pointing out actually that the CG work in New Dwarf is yeah. um, is very good. It's no longer like which is best. It's no longer a competition no. because the technology and the industry has moved on to such a point where it's all about the best tools for each job. Yeah, exactly. They've understood the benefits of both and the, yeah. the shortfalls of, of either. So. The benefits of both and the shortfalls of either. By Kelvin Klein. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Like we said earlier, Promised Land commentary is our next commentary. Uh, however, we're not going to be doing a Waffleman on the end of that one because it's an hour and a half as it is. So, we have a Promised Land-related waffle, which we might as well answer now. Yeah. This is from Quinn. says, In the instant reaction, Ian says that he thought Crichton was being killed off for good as a way to write Robert out as one of the four main cast, as he is the one having the hardest time making the show these days. Regardless of what is going on in terms of actually getting the show made... Or whether you think they would actually do it, do you think the show could return to Lister, Rimmer, Cat and Holly had they decided to do this at the end of The Promised Land? I would like to hear more talk around that subject, if you think it could work, how it would affect the show, reactions to it, etc. It's quite demanding of you, Quinn. That (laughs) is a big question. Uh... Crichton is such an integral part now. Yeah. It's really, really hard for me to imagine the show. I mean, he serves a purpose. I mean, uh, Quinn does mention that Holly would have to be part of this version right because Crichton stole Holly's chips basically yeah <laughs> um and that's why the character ended up being irrelevant and then um so if you lost Crichton you'd have to have Holly back full time but no I don't think you could do that I think if any of the four were not there then don't bother no yeah exactly yeah you've got to that point now it would leave such a hole one glorious hole it feels to me that the only thing really giving the show forward momentum to keep being made is this very specific camaraderie between this cast Mm. and doug to be honest Mm. and regardless of whatever rob grant's butsky plans are it would be something different. Even if it involves the cast in like an audio capacity, you could start fucking about with the combination then. You could do yeah. maybe just a Rimmer and Lister thing in audio mm. because you're doing something different. But specifically when it comes to the TV show, any one of those five people, you know, as soon as they're, as soon as they're not doing it anymore, you have to, you have to put a, draw a line under that and do something else, you know. I think the intention is that Holly is now one of the main characters so. again. Yeah. And yeah, I'd I'd very much like him to be if they if we do get any more. But or she, I, or both. But Holly is kind of optional. I think if it was the case where neither Norman or Hattie were available or willing to do any more, then obviously just carry on with the four. But to lose one of the four wouldn't work. No, I think I might have even thought about this when in series six when when Holly wasn't mm. part of it, and it does feel strange that there is a sort of a major cast member missing. And yet, series six has some of the strongest episodes, and it's like it's not that those two are not mm. the, they're not mutually benefit, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. Well, six had the advantage of just that small narrative reason why Holly isn't there. I think is enough to make that feel very natural. Mm. You know, like well, it was natural. I mean, from series one to eight, it's the normal fluctuation of cast uh, that you'd expect in any sitcom. 
because it changes. The first two series has the original cast. Series three, uh, one is replaced and a new one is added. Series six, one's taken away. Series seven, there's a swap around. Series eight, fuck knows what they were thinking there, but you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. any any sitcom that's made over the course of eleven years is going to have a changing cast. But now, with all that history, the fact that the Dave yeah. era is coming along in addition to that, it's clearly trading on this is what Red Dwarf is, and this is the core of Red Dwarf. And I think it's not like yeah, if there'd have been further series in the well, early 2000s that carried straight on from Series 8. If if basically there was no gap and Red Dwarf had just carried on straight away and we'd ended up with some other combination now, then that would be fine. But you can't make new TV Red Dwarf that continues on from the current narrative of Red Dwarf yeah. without the four. Yeah. And it's it's only because of Rob Grant's Butsky that, yeah, that I'm putting in those caveats. <laughs> because <laughs> now, all of a sudden, in the last few months this possible expanded universe thing has reared its head again and so yeah there's now a separation in my head between the ongoing core adventures of the main red dwarf and whatever else whatever happens else down happened. the road and even rob and paul have have that view yeah based on what they said that you know they're talking about the tv arm of things and doug being the person in charge of that and that or being part of contracts and it's like you know that is still his domain and they intend that to remain that way um and yeah the the reason that tv dwarf exists is to have that collection of people and that's it that that is the end of it whereas looking again at what um quinn says you mentioned um like potential spin-off-y audios or whatever having a listerima cat and holly audio would be quite interesting because it's like um, obviously we think of Big Finish and that kind of thing where they've got different Doctor Who stories that are set at various points within the Doctor Who timeline so they've got whatever combination of characters they see fit they so yeah to do some new Red Dwarf stories that are set during series 1 to 2 would Pretty be interesting yeah. yeah and doing some that are the main sort of series 3 to 5 golden era set up with Hattie instead of Norman they even glorious. could do some stuff involving David Ross as well. Yeah, actually, David <laughs> Ross is Crichton. They could have inter- interstitial stories between, like, between you know him fucking off and you know. The- Rob, yeah, Rob yeah. could bridge the gap between series two and three. The, with the ne- oh, the never, fun. never got mentioned, but uh, yeah, when Crichton crashed his bike and was brought back at the end of series three, at the beginning of series three, that was actually like the the fifth time that they'd bumped into Crichton in the meantime. David Ross's Crichton just kept popping in and out like Hoagie the Rogie does. No <laughs> one's ever mentioned it before, but stay tuned for the new series from Big Finish. It's yeah. like the um, it's like the fifth housemate in the Young Ones. Yeah, there, no one's noticed it. I think we're we're definitely at a point now where we really need to fucking hear something solid about what the the next plans are. Like, if if there, if there are any plans at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, since. I think since our last recording session, um, Craig has been doing the rounds because uh, he's got a new album out, a new Funk and Soul uh, album, and okay. therefore doing a lot of interviews and therefore being asked about the future of Red Dwarf. And he certainly seems to think that more specials are on their way. 
or the, the the plan is to do more specials in a dance as old as time itself. <laughs> yeah, and this is right, like you can't. We've been here many times before. Basically, in between Back to Earth and Ten, and yeah. then in between Ten and Eleven, and then in between Twelve and the Promised Land, we've had this multiple. I, I won't believe it until until Bobby leaks it. Yeah. That's interesting because Craig did did a suggest like what he said marries up with what was said by Paul about contracts and shit. Yeah, they they've decided to another two. Yeah. yeah, they've decided how many and how long and when and who etc. But it's understandable for many reasons why we haven't heard anything. Uh, mainly COVID uh, putting yeah. the blocks on everything uh, this time last year, or even even longer ago than that. Fucking hell. Plus the kerfuffle, as we might euphemistically call it. The troubles. <laughs> the troubles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, things are starting to spin up again now, but yeah, you're right, actually. That cork, God knows where we are with that. Like, that might yeah, have already gone away for all we know. Um, it's been over three months since we heard anything. Yeah. I relish the idea of more, specifically more specials, because yeah. that that's the, the form factor that really excites me for Red Dwarf is the special. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not particularly bothered about there being a full full form series, really, because I, I can see like the, the benefit, the way in which The Promised Land was so obviously benefited quality-wise by its scope yeah, just gets me really excited for like what could be built on from that. Yeah, now that they've done that, it would feel like a bit of a not so much a backward step to do another series because obviously I'm not going to turn my nose up if that's what <laughs> they decide to do next. But having seen the potential of what a yeah. special can do and having got it so right at the first attempt, then why not do it again? And also, uh, like from a logistical level, first attempt. Oh, are you counting back to earth? No one counts back to earth. <laughs> yeah, but back to earth is an attempt, right? That was an attempt to make an hour-long special Se- series N. Well, originally it was two half hours, then it was three half hours. Yeah, it's only the director's cut that's. Uh... Yeah. I mean, I love Back to Earth, but Back to Earth isn't really anything, is it? It's not a series. It's not a special. It's like it. It's not a series. It, like it's literally not a series. You know, the the official Grant Naylor production line is that it is not series nine, except in France where it is. Holy shit! So recently, is it on the website now? Isn't it in the Q, in the FAQ that? Back yeah. to Earth is not Series Nine. Yeah, Rob Grant is going to do Series Nine as an as an audio series. <laughs> but it, that, then that would he didn't do Series Seven and Eight either. Exactly, <laughs> it's just going to skip. It's going to have no relation to Series Seven and Eight. No, nope. we're never going to get Rob Grant Series Seven and Eight. We're just going to get Rob Grant Series Nine. Series Nine. So Rob Grant's going to imagine what happened in the two series in between, and, and his Series Nine actually fills the gap in between. Between series two and three, <laughs> who's eating this chicken? <laughs> it's like the next level of like Hitchhiker's trilogy of five. Well, we've already kind of had it with the books, two simultaneous yeah, sequels. <laughs> I mean, we almost have had it with the book. In fact, no, we haven't. <laughs> <clears throat> Everyone would have heard the first um, part of our backwards book club at this point and know that we're very happy to be <laughs> reading Rob Grant the Dwarf. I hope that question was answered adequately. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Basically, the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Robert, no Red Dwarf, and like he's probably based on past form. He's probably if any one cast member was going to 
not be able to do it anymore. It's probably going to be him. It's pre- because yeah. of the, the the strain in which it puts him under. It's probably the man who is now in his mid sixties who yeah. has to encase himself in rubber and on the last series uh, was hospitalised. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the final waffle from this pile. The Devil's Advocate asks, how has modern ways of communication ruined or improved the viewing enjoyment of past and present episodes of Red Dwarf? Which we think means, um, you know, communication as in the internet. Social uh, media. Having, having access to other people's opinions <laughs> on, mm. on demand, on tap. I do find not so much with Red Dwarf, but with other things. I'll watch something like Doctor Who or Inside Number Nine or whatever, and come come out thinking, "Oh, that was pretty good." And then read other people's opinions on Twitter and go, "Oh no, actually, they've just pointed out all the flaws that I didn't <laughs> see on first viewing." Yeah. And that does happen with Red Dwarf to an extent as well. Yeah. People point out things that I haven't spotted, and it is sort of it can only ever adversely affect your opinion. I think. Uh, or if a, um, a Red Dwarf fan site maybe puts out a kind of a live show shortly after <laughs> the broadcast of a new series, and someone who really enjoyed it listens to us bitch and moan about it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so yeah, they, they probably yeah. We're we're not ones to talk. Really. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one because like people of a certain age a certain vintage remember what it was like first get on the internet and to discover the red dwarf community as it was at that point and so for me like year 2000 and it felt like a niche it felt like a little corner that you knocked on the door politely and you walked in and there was this little room of people talking about red dwarf um, and now it's like because of social media because of like the prevalence people don't have to rely on forums fan sites they've you know, there's huge communications platforms that people are talking about Red Dwarf on. It feels a lot busier, which is great in a lot of ways, but maybe not mm. as personal as it used to be. So you have the Facebook community, which has its own feel, let's say. <laughs> the Reddit community, which is, is, is a literal pile of shit, uh, which certainly exists. Well, some of the most popular things on the uh, Red Dwarf subreddit are things that we've made and people have <laughs> stolen and uploaded themselves with no credit. So well, that's Reddit. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lack of credit, what I call it. But then there's also, the, you know, when you talk about other shows, I would love Rick and Morty. I'm sure I would love Rick and Morty, but I am never going to watch Rick and Morty because being on Reddit too much, probably as a re- result of being on Reddit too much, is I'm so fucking sick of that show and hearing about people... <laughs> wanking on about it that i will i never want to watch it <laughs> and so like yeah the prevalence of a fandom can in this modern age of social media can degrade things for sure but you should watch rick and morty though i know but i just don't have a high enough iq <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <laughs> to be honest, i've not really been part of that i just know I've, I've seen the episodes without any of that bullshit it's my fault i went through a phase of browsing reddit quite a lot and I've got over that now. I've replaced it with going back to Twitter, which um, just gets me angry about different things. That's like um, getting, getting off of methadone to get off the heroin. It's like, <laughs> it's like oh, you know, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm sick. I'm sick of. I'm sick of Reddit going on about fucking Rick and Morty. Let's go on to Twitter where there's just transphobia everywhere and fucking awful, terrible people being retweeted into my timelines endlessly. Oh, that's much better for my mental health. Yeah. Going back to what you said about how. It used to be a small private party uh, on the internet, and now it's 
everyone. Without wanting to sound like a snob, (laughs) (laughs) the downside of that is that the quality of discussion of the debate is muddied somewhat. But uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. It just means that places like G&T can have a bit more of a... like. Basically, everyone has a place on the internet where the level of Red Dwarf discussion is right for them. Yeah. And it's just a case of you finding it. So obviously on a platform like Facebook, which everyone and their nan is on, there's a huge amount of people that are very casual fans of Red Dwarf, but nevertheless yeah. like talking about it. And that's good for them. So they can have groups where people post pictures of... Smeg fridges. Smeg fridges. And half the posts are people asking if anyone wants any toast. And that's fine because that's what those people are after. Whereas if you are more into the sort of artistic, creative, fan fiction side of things, there's huge Tumblr communities for you. Or if you're into discussing the absolute minutiae of complete bollocks, then you've got G&T. And even within Facebook, to be fair, some groups are like that and other groups a much more sort of niche and nerdy and yeah. a much more my cup of tea uh, than the, the the mainstream ones. I have, on my tweet deck, I have a Red Dwarf hashtag search open. So I see a lot of what people say about Red Dwarf on Twitter. And it's mostly people <laughs> comparing random black people to Dwayne Dibley. Yes. That happens a lot. <laughs> or like... Particularly in the particularly in the Zoom era, a picture of someone's head on a screen and saying, "Oh, look, it's Holly from Red Dwarf." But other than that, it's mostly people going, "Oh, I, I just caught a Polymorph on Day. I haven't watched that in years. It was brilliant, and that's really nice just mm. to see random people rediscovering Red Dwarf or just like random opinions popping up that just show how well the show is discussed and is still a, a huge part of the wider world. I think it's really nice. Yeah. And I'm sure, um, you know, in the late 90s that there were plenty of Usenet veterans that were that were saying, oh, the problem is is that there's fucking just fan site sites everywhere now. It's so yeah. easy to make a website. It's, like, <laughs> it's got oversaturated. It was over thus, I guess. Yeah, yes. Alt TV Red Dwarf was the place in the old days. And that was when the internet was smaller. Usenet was the Twitter of its time, I guess. To, mm. There's probably some wanky journalist has probably said that before but use that uh, for the twitter generation instead of twitter's approach of being like here's everything it was segmented into different rooms effectively different yeah. discussion topics so you just subscribed to topic rather than to people uh, which i guess was different because I, I don't have any memory of using using it at all but the only thing i can imagine it's similar to is like a slack channel Mm. Where you can literally just you know split off into various mm-hmm. different categories with you know whether you're subscribed to them or not. A yeah. sort of like sub subreddits, if you know what I mean. Like <laughs> just a forum of everything, basically. Yeah. yeah. Pick your sub forum and uh, get shouted at by Linda Glover, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like Twitter, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is, during the Promised Land TX. Uh, I found that Twitter really enhanced the viewing of that. It was the first time for years, because of the whole UK TV play thing, it was the first time for years that everyone was watching it at the same time as each other, which we're not going to wank on about now because we've wanked on about that enough over the last seven or eight years. But the fact that that happened early on in lockdown as well, when everyone was getting used to the idea of not seeing people and not having much interaction. It's the first time where there'd been a new episode of Red Dwarf where I wasn't in the same room as 
other G&T people either on the night or very soon afterwards and so when we were starting to feel that sense of isolation having that coming together of the entire fandom obviously I only looked at Twitter and only tweeted during the ad breaks because don't live tweet a show while it's on if it's no. uh, if it's drama or comedy um, it's okay for certain other types of shows like entertainment but for fuck's sake don't pay attention to the show that's when it's on but tweeting during the ad breaks and seeing what people have been saying it felt really lovely it, it was just like a huge internet based community all watching at once it was really nice and so in that circumstance when everyone is watching at the same time and reacting at the same time that modern method of communication is brilliant because I didn't have that when I was watching Series 6 go out in 1993. I waited until the next edition of um, Better Than Life came out before I could see what any other fans had to say. Early days of Dwarf, until I kind of went to a dimension jump, Red Dwarf was... I didn't want to share that. It did feel like sort of something that me and my dad had. That was what we... That was our family we had, Red Dwarf. That was what... You know, people knew. there was a couple of people at school who knew about it, but we couldn't have very deep conversations about it. I didn't want to have deep, very deep conversations about it. I just wonder if that would have been different had there been the internet. Well, I'm glad that you've changed your mind about not talking about Red Dwarf. Well, the ones, I think people. it's once I joined the fan club and realised that there's a yeah. lot of like, people who I, could, like, who I could talk to about Red Dwarf at the level that at I wanted to talk about, yeah. at the level of detail that I wanted to talk about that wouldn't freak people out. Then So that's the crux that's the now. That, that's it, is that modern communication has allowed everyone to find the level at which they want to talk about a particular thing somewhere you know less detail or more detail i think i had that same thing at school of just like even now the people at work just like oh you know you you're a red dwarf fan aren't you and i immediately bristle i'm just like yeah okay but just don't bother talking to me about it's not that it's the whole thing of going (laughs) are you about to take the piss yeah are you about like there's there's defensiveness you get when when someone does that because yeah exactly immediately you think because it's such a nerdy geeky sci-fi thing it's always the same thing from Let's call them the lay community. <laughs> of casual we call them like normies. a bird lay. <laughs> it's always, oh yeah, Red Dwarf, I used to watch that. Did you see that one where they were on Earth? It went a bit shit. I've not really watched it since then. It's always the same conversation. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And like, oh God, Red Dwarf, when was the last time they made that? Uh, 2020. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah, Last oh, year. I really like the what was the episode with the dinosaur or something? Really <laughs> no like that. that. So funny. No yeah. one has ever said that. <laughs> no, I oh man, I've had that a lot. Yeah, I've I've had a lot of like oh yeah, I remember like didn't it go shit? But then it got it got good again with like you know the series of the dinosaur. Like I had that at an old job of mine <laughs> a lot. And then quit yeah. the job. <laughs> yeah, I did. I went to university instead. <laughs> Right, that's it. (laughs) I'm leaving. (laughs) Overall, it's net positive. I think in general, the internet (laughs) and modern technology and Twitter and honestly, Facebook overall is a net positive for humanity, I think, despite the big, big downsides. Well, yeah, you're going to get cunts who exploit any platform yeah. and companies yeah. exploiting the, the data to make brexit and trump happen. i mean that kind of thing yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah bad people exist and will use whatever means necessary to do bad things but it has to be said that modern methods of communication were it not for those then we wouldn't know each other yeah nope exactly uh, who wants to imagine a world like that without dwarf <laughs> casts without ganymede and titan without jelly <laughs> I was going to make that joke, but then I realised I had no recourse. So I, <laughs> I only know everything. that joke because of you guys. 
So in conclusion, talking to people in real life about Red Dwarf is terrible. Uh, so just Stay stick to the internet. Stay indoors. Stay on the internet. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay. Let's not. Let's wrap it up then. I think that was. Ah, so you're a waffle man, waffle conductor. So, as previously discussed, our next commentary will be on The Promised Land in a special 90-minute commentary. Special. But that's in two podcast time, because next up, it's part two of our look at Backwards in the Dwarfcast Book Club. Uh, So look out for that, and to keep up to date uh, with our podcasts and everything else we're doing, uh, check in on www.ganymede.tv, or follow us on Twitter. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. And so until next time, stay safe, stay alert, stay two metres apart. Stale bread can be revived if you wrap the loaf lightly with aluminium foil, <laughs> place it on the middle rack of a cold oven and set the temperature to 300 degrees. After about 30 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes for small or narrow loaves like baguettes, remove the foil and return the loaf to the oven for another five minutes to crisp up the crust. <laughs> and as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. This is a monumentous occasion. It's as. This is a monumentous occasion. Is it monumentous or momentous? Momentous. Monumental. 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 Yeah. yeah. This is... Major Tom. (laughs) (laughs) This is a... um, Which one did we go for? (laughs) Momentous. Go for momentous. Yeah, momentous is good. Meniscus. It's a meniscus occasion. (laughs) This is a a proboscis monkey. (laughs) A promiscuous occasion. <laughs> this is a very sexy occasion. Very sexy. It's always a sexy occasion. <laughs> um, and Avis v- VFX were the um, CG people. Avis. 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 Had to hunt right, didn't I? <laughs> One bug or two, Avis. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 Avis. La, 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 large or small. <laughs> I was about to say something. Oh yeah, I was gonna. Oh no, I was gonna make. I was gonna say. Oh, there should be like a war mechanoid. That's the one between <laughs> the, the David Ross mechanoid, <laughs> the mechanoid that we've never known about until just now. Where he's, he's played by John Hurt, who's obviously a CG now. Uh, <laughs> no, if it's <laughs> if it's war mechanoid, is that a good Doctor Who that, reference? Did, that should... did I do it? Did, did Tom do it right? <laughs> well, I don't know what Ian's about to say. If it's war mechanoid, it should be Jimmy Nail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's war mechanoid. It probably was Jimmy Nail. Sounds like it. <laughs> Our next commentary will be on the Promised Land, uh, but that'll be coming up in two minutes. <laughs> no weeks. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> And so, until next time, stay safe, stay safe, stay safe, <laughs> stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. There we go. That's what it is. <laughs> We've already Stathen. done that. Have <laughs> we? Yeah. Statham Jason is an actor. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shit.